Hey, Josh. Mm. Mr. Potato Head. Cancelled. Dr. Seuss. Cancelled. Mark Twain. Cancelled. Kevin Hart? Still cancelled, probably. Pierce Morgan? Probably kind of cancelled. Maybe shouldn't have been cancelled, but he still was cancelled. I'm walking off at that point. (laughs) How do Christians contribute and or perpetuate, and how should they step into this whole movement of cancel culture or now cancel cancel culture, right? Welcome to Kingdom Thinking, and today we're going to talk about hashtag cancel culture, hashtag cancel cancel culture? Yeah, dude, so this is awesome. Uh, Cancel culture is not a thing that's new to evangelicalism. Say more? Uh, Yeah, well, similar. So so you didn't grow up in a youth group, right? I did not. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Okay, so I grew up in a youth group that was uh, in the early 2000s, evangelicals got on this real big kick about taking Revelation 12, I'm sorry, Romans 12, super literally, right? Like be in the world, but not of the world. Okay. And so we just decided that we were going to say like, screw everything that was the world, right? In a lot of <laughs> sense. So we had like these big parties where everybody would bring their like non-Christian music. Wait, is this And for real? we would microwave them. Yeah, yeah. This is like a, this is it's a real a thing. No, no, no. I'm not even making, this is not a, even a slight exaggeration. Okay. There, and so we would have these like whole series based around this idea of like, making sure that, you know, purity of mind meant that you could never listen to an Eminem song or you could never listen to, you know, Tupac or Biggie or anything like that or whatever, you know, even as far scaled over as like even Amy Grant would be questionable, right? Or like these other people that were like clearly Christian artists. And the the whole goal was to like separate ourselves from culture and live these pure and godly lives. And so that meant that we could only listen to like terrible third wave ska music out of Orange (laughs) County in the late 90s or whatever it was. Yeah, so uh, Christians have perfected cancel culture interesting interesting so there's this meme here check this out it says isn't it funny that christians who were burning disney movies boycotting harry potter and speaking against all non-christian music are now worried about being canceled i got a harry potter book in fifth grade for a secret santa book exchange and my parents wouldn't let me read it because we had just started a new job at a new mega church mega evangelical church out here yeah and the pastor did a whole series on why both pokemon and harry potter were evil. Oh man. I missed out on the whole Harry Potter phenomena That's because of one stinking dumb sermon. <laughs> so frustrating. Well, we got to talk about this. Yeah. How do Christians contribute and or perpetuate and how should they step into this whole movement of cancel culture or now cancel cancel culture, yeah. right? And so in a nutshell, what we understand this to mean um, is that in recent years, there's been uh, an increasing movement and momentum in both social circles and academic circles mm-hmm. to delineate the boundaries for what's acceptable literature. Yeah. What's acceptable uh, on a podcast? What's acceptable in a movie? What's acceptable in a show? And even what's acceptable, I would say, um, on your own time, like sure. to wear or to say. Sure. Right. And so when these things start to fall beyond the limits of these, then. Uh, there seems to be a movement where shows, podcasts, movies, whatever the case may be, there's pressure to not converse and dialogue about, hey, would you consider this? But no, saying we're going to move you out of the way. Mm-hmm. So what? how should Christians respond to that? And should Christians be afraid of being canceled themselves? Sure. So let, let's jump into that. Now, Josh, you grew up in the Philippines, right? Yep. Basketball and soccer are pretty popular in the Philippines. Yeah, huge, man. Uh, one example that came to my mind when I was thinking about this is the whole idea of cancel culture hashtag or cancel cancel culture right the counter to that it seems like a pickup game where somebody says all right i'm gonna go home and take my ball with me yeah dude for sure i did that plenty of times <laughs> in the philippines there. and so the the illustration being 
the utter unwillingness to continue to just stop completely and say, I'm done. I'm out. Right. Um, and so is that helpful? What, what things warrant that response? What things don't? And again, how should Christians respond to that? So one of the things that's really interesting to me as we, as we jump into this is I think the media is really perpetuated and fueled a lot of this movement in the sense that with big and recent social phenomenons, all of a sudden you, it, it feels like everybody has to be an expert on these social issues, right? So we've had really unfortunate circumstances with, uh, the George Floyd situation that led to, um, uprisings, protests and, um, showings, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have the pandemic obviously and masks and then vaccines. And it just feels like everything snowballed. And now you have interviews. Uh, the one I just saw was with Jorgen Klopp. Mm-hmm. He's uh, the manager, the uh, coach uh, for Liverpool mm-hmm. Football Club, right? World champion, like coach club. Great at soccer. Exactly. Yep. And and this dude is asking him like, hey, so what do you think about like coming back and, and the vaccines and the masks? And I really appreciated his answer because he's like, you're asking me to give you an expert answer on something I'm clearly not an expert yeah. at. Yep. And so it's this kind of like damned if I do, damned if I don't situation. Yeah, sure. But I really appreciated his take on it because it got me thinking. I think part of the problem is all of a sudden, like the CEO for Big Five or the manager at, at Walmart or like whatever the case may be, all of a sudden we're asking that person to speak with precision and nuance and intelligence into an issue that they've never had to do so before. Yeah, for sure. And I think that fuels the fire of saying, yeah, we're going to cancel that person and fall in line or else kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so as we kind of jumped into these, these issues jokingly, right. With the uh, Mr. Potato head, uh, and what it looks like for the future of gender neutral toys. Sure. Um, and or literature, Mark Twain, Dr. Seuss, the literary canon. Um, some of the issues I want to talk about today are one by whose standards should the past be judged Two, if something is wrong, does it begin to be wrong when the current society recognizes that? Or was it always wrong on the basis of some independent standard? And three, what about things that weren't seen as wrong, but are now seen as wrong? Yeah. So I want to hear your thoughts a little bit more about those specific examples we talked about. And then I want to turn gear the conversation towards how Christians can resist the temptation to just take their ball and go home. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So the Mr. Potato Head is an interesting one to me. Uh, it's like the one that I like missed like the quickest because it just felt like it kind of came and went from Hasbro. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed like actually a good idea to really right like give him a mustache and then give him a like a dress or whatever they were going to put in the same thing. It just seems an efficient way to sell a toy to okay. me. So like it didn't. I don't know. It didn't really bother me too much on any like emotional level. Okay. Uh, you know, people. Dude, I watched a whole video where this guy like started freaking the crap out over people like not getting up in arms about Hasbro like calling <laughs> Hasbro people like really offensive slurs it's yeah. just like dude like I I don't so I don't know where that it's energy that was coming from uh the Dr. Seuss one I actually don't think is a real good example of cancel culture because like it was his private estate who decided to pull it back you know on on right. uh the offensive stereotypes and, and you know it's what they were they were stereotypes like it just kind of is what it is there and might say like it has its place in time or it doesn't actually have any real effect on people and like that's fine i don't really know how you measure measure those right in like okay. from some type of sociological position but it was his estate that pulled the books right so meaning it wasn't it wasn't uh, pressure from the left press. right like gotcha. amazon didn't go like we're not you know hey guys we're not going to publish like 
Mulberry Street anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not, you know, it's always just like whatever. Mark Twain and the use of the N-word in his books. Now, this one is really interesting to me uh, because I think this speaks to like a bigger conversation, even the one that we had with yeah. Egypt a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so here's what I would do, something like that, right? Like Mark Twain, as it relates to uh, Huckleberry Finn, right? Okay. I would say like you leave the books as they are and you do like a beginning conversation at the start of this book experience where you're going to have the conversation in class and be like, look, hmm. this was the historical reality when this book came about and this is why that's bad, right? Hmm. And like, this is why, you know, and, and so put a disclaimer on it because what that does is that opens up the mind and the conversation to a better, more nuanced gotcha. understanding of America's past. Rather than coercion yeah, yeah. or erasure. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the Western canon, which, you know, many people may not really know, but it's like right. a conglomeration of like the most prolific and influential authors in Western literature. Right. Uh, so it was put together in the 90s, wasn't it? Classical texts. Yeah. Right? When you think of classic American literature. Yeah. And so it's 26 authors. Okay. Four of them are women. All and of the them rest are white. Are white men. White men. Yeah. And, and so this to me is incredibly problematic. Okay. Uh, because if you're not putting people in there like Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King Jr., like those are just two people that have prolifically shaped American history as much, if not more, than anybody else, right, in a lot of these conversations. Those would be easy additions to the Western canon, as it were. Uh, so that is problematic to me And that I don't want to cancel it. I Like, I think you should change it, right? Like, make it better okay. there because I think the Western canon is still, you know, I think Western civilization has some good things and yeah. has contributed some good betterment to the world and humanity as a good. whole, good. along with the whole issue of problems. So don't cancel me, people. Relax there. But the idea here being like, things can be updated and made better. Mm. And this is something that should be updated and made very much better. Good. Uh, Kevin Hart in his stuff from 10 years ago. Uh, I don't know. I always kind of go back and forth on this one. Like the dude didn't really apologize, but he kind of apologized, but then kind of didn't at the same time. And was yeah. pretty defiant about this. I had a, uh, so, you know, it's like, uh, I deleted my Twitter, I think as a result of like when I would go back and be like, Oh, I'm pretty sure I said some stupid stuff at yeah. a certain point that would have gotten me in trouble. Uh, and so it's like, you know, it's weird for me to try and come after someone for something that they said 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's like, his response wasn't very helpful to his cause in any of those things. But, you know, if we live by that motto, right. dude, everybody's screwed. There. And so so that's the point, though, right? And, yeah. and I think that's the perspective I want to highlight as we analyze. So as a Christian who has persuasions, who isn't completely neutral on some of these yeah. things, how do I resist the temptation to, all right, I'm just going to take my ball and go home yeah. and rather actually counteract what seems to be such a uh, pervasive uh, de- deformation of sure. dialogue um, and discourse and rather contribute to it. So I think the, the first important thing that, I, that you highlighted is not everything needs to be overhauled. Right. Things can be redeemed, updated, or restored. Mm-hmm. And I think that's significant. So I don't think that that fixes the problem. Um, I don't think that can be applied to everything in the same right. way. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So while... So that's an answer, right? Yes, that's the first exactly, answer. Exactly. So, so that would be I don't think we need to stop ask. teaching classic Western literature in schools and universities. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it would be a good thing for major universities to stop teaching literature. Yeah. That would not be helpful. Even if it was written by a white guy. See, and that's right, that's what I'm saying. Now, how do you uh, mediate or mitigate the issue of, yeah, but now we're incredibly uh, one-sided or anemic and ignorant of all these other social and cultural um, issues that we're I do going. Teach, so so teach add more literature. 
yeah, or just teach black authors only for the next hundred years. White literature will still make its way in there. Like we're the dominant race in America by 70% or whatever it is. It's just like, dude, we'll find a, you know, white literature will always be out there. People can seek it out. Like if you just even like people aren't going to stop reading, send the pendulum as hard as you want in the other Um, direction for that kind of stuff for a while. Exactly. And it'll still, you know, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. People aren't going to stop reading Mark Twain. No. um, George Orwell. It's good. Those are uh, great John authors. Steinbeck. Yeah, great authors right. there. Tom Clancy. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But, but see, so there seems to be a more uh, moderate, reasonable way to alleviate the pressure of like, There's hey, a way to have this conversation without succumbing to wokeism. Exactly. Right. And just the ridiculousness that is that right on right. its face. Now, um, white supremacy manifestos. Sure. I think there's reason to think that might not be worth dignifying with a response. Yeah, I mean, the Overton window has to stop somewhere, right? right? And so the, if you don't know what the Overton window is, it's kind of like what's societally deemed as like acceptable, right? Overton was a journalist. Uh, and the idea here was like, if it's within the Overton window, it's something that's within the realm of good to talk about, right? Uh, and so, you know, an interesting example in this discussion is like Amazon pulled the book when Harry right. became Sally, which is a trans, you know, a controversial transgender response. It to was kind a of response the movement happening to let's right now. let, uh, but what's interesting let Harry is become Sally. Yeah. Yeah. So eBay pulled it as well. So you couldn't sell it on eBay or those kind of, or I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Seuss's books were pulled from eBay. You couldn't sell it there, but you could still get Mein Kampf mm-hmm. on eBay. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you know. There's probably a conversation to be had there about right, like right. something being off in the scales of cosmic justice for uh, for Dr. Seuss or whatever. But you know, and, and that's a but as a private company, they can do that. And this is where the other line is straddled a lot, like private companies doing what private companies want to do. The free market, yeah, based on what they think is good for their business, which is you know a lot of pandering to social movements uh, and probably not genuinely heartfelt mm-hmm. and good for their bottom line. Versus like the actual societal change that needs to happen from a structural level, right? And so there's economic and political consequences to all that, which Always. we will address in our future episodes, yeah, yeah. kind of un- unraveling a little bit more about mm-hmm. this. The scope for today specifically, I think, is so what do we do then? Because it seems that as Christians, you can either um, stand up for yourself and say like, well, nope, we're going to cancel cancel culture. Yeah. And we're just going to go to what is it called? Parler or yeah, Parler was one. Is that what it's called? I mean, I don't think it's available anymore. I think Amazon, AWS really? killed it. Yeah. Okay. There. So we, we're just going to go do our own thing, mm-hmm. right? Or or no, or we're going to um, succumb to it because there's enough good happening. Yeah, engage. Exactly. Yeah, so so let me ask you that question. Uh, who standards should the past be judged by? So, I mean, this is real tricky, right? Yeah. Because Christians have, a, have skin in the game. Abs- yeah, absolutely. Um, crusades? Yeah, <laughs> like you whispered that like the internet's not going to hear it <laughs> if you said Inquisition. Yeah, slave trade. Yeah, like we have skin in the game to answer the question. Now hold on. Yeah, were these always wrong? Because you want you want to say yes. Well, if that's the case, then how do we explain such an egregious? Oh, well, they didn't see it wrong at that time. Right, right. That is really really hard. And like I, I'm not going to sidestep it. That's just a really hard. Uh, well, and this is answered. really hard for a lot of like conservative evangelicals too, right? Because the idea here is like revelation stops within the finishing of the canon mm-hmm. there. And so it's like revelation within the canon is like, hey, slavery is fine there, you know, in the sense of like nobody ever speaks out. In fact, if you're going to be a slave, be a good one, you know, in this kind of idea. Now, there's different forms of slavery that existed in the ancient Near East that's not necessarily as prevalent like what it was in America. But 
that's a little bit of a cop-out answer. Like, slavery was still very brutal in, in the first century. It was still terrible, still not good, still awful, uh, and those types of things. So you either have to say, like, well, the church has got it wrong right. for over 1,800 years. For a long time. There until William Wilberforce in the West decided to, like, get that out. there, Or progressive revelation happens. Or there is some type of conversation between us and the text and interpretive yeah. differences occur. Exactly, exactly. All that to say that in this movement where there is such a propensity to say, nope, disengage, yeah. you're done, or I'm done, There, we want to encourage helpful dialogue and helpful analysis that's saying, hey, with this first question, by whose standards should we judge the past? Well, you really only have two options, right? Um, the option is either you think there are independent standards, and so from the Christian faith, we would say uh, that God himself is the independent standard yeah. from which we understand morality or ethics, right? Yeah. So that's always been there. Or um, if you come at it from not maybe not necessarily a faith presupposition, um, right and wrong is the result of a, a, a collective conscience yeah. of, of a community standard, right? Yeah, and, and even to throw a little bit of a monkey wrench in there, it's like the revelation of God still has to hit the minds of humans, right? So there is a human in a component that will always be a part yes. of divine revelation and the reception of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So collective conscience, even the latter one, still applies to yes. the former faith-based community Correct. as well. And you got to be honest about that because, like, otherwise we just set ourselves up to really get blindsided by, you know, truth. <laughs> Correct. Um, and so those are not as rigid yeah. as we think. Certainly. However, I do think it's important to point out the philosophical distinction between yeah, yeah, for sure. the, the what's the source of morality. Yeah. Is, is it our interaction or is there something else? Yeah, something outside of us. Exactly. Yeah, no doubt. Exactly. And then question number two, if something is, is wrong, does it begin to be wrong when a current society recognizes it or is it on the basis of some timeless standard? Well, kind of related to that question, right? Um, if from a faith perspective, there is an ind independent being from whose character flows, mm -hmm. human flourishing, human dignity, et cetera, then that was always the case. Yep. So we'd have to say, yeah, Christian tradition can be wrong. Yeah, for it sure. was wrong about the Crusades. It was wrong about slavery, right? And that's a hard pill to swallow, mm -hmm. particularly with implications about what does that mean for American history? Sure. Um, nonetheless, I think you have to bite the bullet. Yeah. Um, unless you want to say, nope, it began to be wrong. And well, then that's a yeah. set of other problems. Right. But at the very least, we have to say, like, this, this should cause you as the Christian viewer, as the person watching this, right? Like, the idea is, like, we have to be super humble about this and be willing to challenge all of our suppositions, right? Because, dude, like, even interracial marriage was wrong. Exactly. Like, my wife and I up, wouldn't be allowed to be married like there. And so 50, it's like, six years yeah, ago. and like, but my dad was still alive, you know, when That's right. you couldn't marry somebody who was a different color than you. Uh, and so it's like, all of our suppositions have to be challengeable, right? And That's that kind exactly of thing. We right. We have to hold them loosely. That's exactly right. And so what my proposal is that in the midst of such a polarizing, such a combative, instinct and propensity in this movement that Christians can actually bring healing and bring wisdom and courage into that conversation by one, like James says, Hey, be quick to listen. Yes. Slow to speak. So good. I mean, how, how much of a difference would that make? Uh, I, I don't know if it would solve all the problems, no, but I think it would solve but, at least 50% of them. Just think about the attitude yeah, of saying, yeah. Hey, I don't need to take my ball home. Okay. Let's stop. Can you tell me why? Yeah. You think that way. Yeah. Why and, is it important for you to cancel right. whatever? And, and I mean, even thinking about the distinction between being offended and something being offensive. Sure. Those aren't always the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? For sure. Um, and so, again, the, the Christian disposition to be willing to say, hey, maybe I was wrong about that. Mm -hmm. 
can you help me understand why you think that was inappropriate? And then would you be willing to grant me the same mm -hmm. grace mm -hmm. and, and respect or want to include my perspective on that? Mm -hmm. Like that mm -hmm. would be such a huge game changer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it, I mean, that's an interesting, so I've got a real life example for that, right? Like I have a, a friend who uh, had to pay for some, uh, some stuff and they felt like they were being kind of gouged on mm. something, right? And this friend, it just happens to be black. And there was a part of that conversation when he and I were talking about like feeling maybe there was a racial component mm. to that. And my initial thought is like, what are you talking about? And like, you did something, you gotta pay for it. You know, mm -hmm. it's a thing. And, and there's nothing in me that goes, oh, the black experience is probably different than the white one on mm -hmm. some of these issues. So maybe there's a different At component. At least not instinctually. There. Yeah, and so it's like, if I can be wrong about something like that or blinded, right, have right. a blind spot in something like that, of course it can apply to a myriad of things yeah. that I may not think are offensive, yeah. but could very well be. Exactly. There. And that's fine. That's, like, that's exactly right. That's how we grow. Right. And so as, as we kind of wrap it up here, in such a polarizing movement of, it's almost like cancel or be canceled. Yeah, for right? sure. So or cancel yourself to get ahead of it, right? Oh, there right. you go. Yeah, yeah. So if you cancel, cancel, cancel culture. Yeah. Then you win. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so some some pastoral conclusions for how this might actually work itself out sure. in churches. Number one, how can Christian churches combat the instinct to categorize people in us versus them? Yeah, I think this is incredibly important, and I think this all stems from how you read the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is the correct way to read the scriptures. Any time we have a conversation about what Christians are doing in the Bible, it always, always looks like defending the marginalized. It always looks like erring on the side of people who are not receiving justice, who mm. are oppressed either historically or, you know, contemporarily speaking. They're, and so for me, the posture that we walk into any of these conversations, right, ranging from reparations for black people who may not have even been descendants of slaves, right? Like that's a huge thing when mm. a lot of like conservative evangelical circles, right? Okay. There or the LGBTQIA yeah. plus community. Like we have, if we don't enter into this with the posture of humility, hands open, palms up, right? Like ready to receive whatever's given there and not be a defensive when the arrows and slings start being lobbied at church people when you look at the totality of American Christian history, and it's not been stellar in this country, right? From the way that we've treated black people, from the way that we've treated minorities, from the way that we treated gay people in the 80s and 90s during the AIDS epidemic. Like, there has been so much failure on the part of the church time and time again to treat these people well, that if we don't respond well in this cultural shift and mm -hmm. movement, there will be a schism that is far too inseparable for us without some type of supernatural interaction. Okay. So I agree with that. The way that... I think of it in my head is when you think of David and Goliath mm -hmm. or uh, the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and Pharaoh. Isn't it interesting that when we read those, we identify as always. the heroes. Always, always. So when we preach from 1 Samuel 16, David, Goliath. What are the Goliaths in your in life your that life? you need to slay? Yeah, you're David, right? Certainly. So my point being this, uh, we're God's enemies in those narratives. Mm -hmm. We're the cowering Israelites. Mm, interesting. Okay. In that narrative. Uh, we are the hard-hearted, ungrateful covenant breakers in the Exodus. Mm -hmm. Not the ones who wield the sword. Yeah. And so how do we combat this us versus them? Well, we are all of them. All of them meaning the ones who need to be restored and redeemed, Dude. meaning the ones who, who are in desperate need of, Come on, of God's wisdom yeah. and courage. And, and so, I mean, I think 
yeah, we, we need to get uh, excited about the reality that is we are no better right. than anyone out there who is trading uh, traditional Christian faith for whatever, some progressive agenda. Sure. Guess what? We are just as pagan when we latch our religious beliefs to some other economic or political agenda. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so the idolatry, the the, the heart disposition to say, I, I get to sit at the table, not you. Yeah. That one is for all of us. Yeah. And I mean, I, I really feel passionate about that. And I think that immediately changes the paradigm for, oh, it's not about cancel or be canceled. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, how on, on a human level, how do we begin the discussion? Yeah in a winsome way to say, Hey, there is healing. There is truth. You don't, you don't forfeit or apologize for that, but you do it in a way where it's not with a sword. Yeah. And Jesus, you know, John one, right. Jesus came speaking grace and truth. Yeah. And then like, we're super good at the truth part as Christians, but we often really suck at the grace part. Right. And then lastly, should Christians actually be afraid of being canceled? No, no. Look, man, if you're doing your Christianity right, somebody's going to get pissed at you somewhere down the line. Like, yeah. there's no way to get around it. And right. they should. They yes. should because Christianity is offensive by a lot of modern yes. sensibilities yeah. there. And so it's like, it sucks, right? Yeah. Dude, it's cost me friendships there because there's things I'm not willing to do or might things I'm not willing to budge on. Maybe? There, yeah, dude. I mean, I just I happen to work as a pastor there, so I might get away with that one. Uh, <laughs> don't fire me, Andrew, if you're watching this. Uh, there, so it's like, yeah, I mean, that could happen. Right. And, but, and that's exactly right. Now, you say it so casually, right? But for our viewers, the the power and the wisdom that is so of the gospel that is so counterintuitive to the way of this world, if you really believe that, then there isn't uh, a podcast, a show, no. a job that 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 you're gonna depend on for sustenance. Right. And I mean, we should kind of be embarrassed, right, of what we think persecution is, because we have Christian brothers and sisters yeah. in lots of parts of the world that are literally being imprisoned, tortured, and killed yeah. for their faith. A hundred percent. And so, should Christians be afraid of being canceled? No, no. See, because cancellation uh, doesn't threaten our identity. It doesn't right. threaten who we are. Right. Who we are is actually much more powerful and transcendent right. than, than what's going on here. Yeah, and we don't want to minimize like the real life consequences of that, right? Like it can be difficult. You're right. Correct. We, should be, we shouldn't be flippant in the dismissal of the, those types of things. There, But it's like the gospel's foolishness to those who are yeah. perishing. Take up your cross and then take up your cross daily exactly. in Luke, right? So it's like Jesus like, and Mark, yeah, you better be ready to physically die for this maybe. physically be canceled. Yeah, or spiritually on the day-to-day basis of being right. you know marginalized by society. And, and if like, that's right. the case, then you can have courage, wisdom, grace, and patience to say, all right, I'm not going to take my ball well, and in every and time go. Christianity gets marginalized, it booms. Exactly. Right? So it's like, okay, dude, all right, great. All right. People will come to know Jesus. Then. Good. Yeah. So I think this is a helpful fundamental posture from which to begin the conversation. Problem solved. Ah, there Jams you go, up. right? <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. What we're going to do in the next few episodes is so discuss what might be some implications economically, politically Mm -hmm. for Christians with some of these things. Yeah, for sure. So leave us a comment. What do you think about what we proposed here as a fundamental starting point to engage with cancel or be canceled? We'll see you next time. And thanks for tuning in to Kingdom Thinking.